today's reading comes from lots of different verses. So Exodus 33, 34, and 40. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stay, may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but, but my face must not be seen. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out, but if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of the Israelites during all their travels. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we praise you, Lord, and we thank you for this day. We ask, Lord, that you will fill this space and fill our hearts, Lord. We pray that peace and joy and love fill this room, and I pray, Lord, that you'll be with Alan as he brings the message, and let us have ears to hear, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we have been spending uh, the fall looking at various uh, sections of the book of Exodus uh, because of how the Bible tells us that 
uh, Israel's rescue from their slavery in Egypt is a picture of how God rescues us from our slavery to sin. And then the rest of the book as it unfolds shows us how God continues to rescue his people from the lingering effects of their slavery, a slavery that still resides in, in their hearts. Um, and so you see this, for example, when they don't trust in him or when they are afraid of their enemies or when they um, freak out because they're hungry and thirsty and there's no food and nothing to drink. And on and on the story goes as their enslaved hearts cry out for an ongoing rescue so that they can believe and learn to live out of the wealth of all that they've been rescued from. And that's really what we've been trying to learn. And that, as we go through this series is, how can we learn ourselves to be free? I mean, now that Jesus' life and death has made us free because of his work on the cross, how do we experience and live out of that freedom? Because, you see, we all struggle with the lingering effects of sin in our hearts. And we struggle to believe that we're that loved, that we're that forgiven, that we have that much security and confidence in what God has done for us. And so this morning, we're going to actually be concluding this long series by looking at what I think is the pinnacle of the book of Exodus, the, the defining moment that pulls all of these stories together. Because this is taking place right after the debacle with the golden calf. And the question that's being asked here is, having made such a mess of things as we have, how in the world are we going to continue to be able to experience the presence of God? And you see, Moses is worried here. He's worried that God's going to give up on his people. He's worried that God is about to abandon his people, that he's had his fill of them. Because at one point here, he does say, I'm ready to destroy all of these people for their sin. And, and I don't know about you, but this really hits at the heart of my own experience. And I dare say it does with yours as well. Because there are times when we say, you know, I believe in God without a shadow of a doubt, but I don't feel his presence right now. I believe in God, but he, he can't love me that much. I mean, look at all I've done. Look at all the things that I've said. Is God going to abandon me? Is he about to give up on me? I mean, everybody else has, and he probably will as well. And so the climax of the story ought to have all of our attention, because I think we all wonder at times if God is going to give up on us, that maybe he's had enough of me by now. Maybe I've gone too far this time. I mean, after all the stupid things that I've done, is he really going to stay with me? And see, Moses says here in verse 12, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. In other words, what Moses is saying is, God, I know what you've said, but are you really with me? I'm, I'm not quite so sure. Can, can you relate to that at all, that struggle? Is God with me? Is, is God going to be for me? And so let's really just start here by asking, what is What's our real need that's, that's happening here? Because listen, think about this. Why is Moses looking for God's glory and his presence here when he's clearly seen his glory and his presence throughout the book of Exodus? Right? He's, he's seen it in the cloud and the pillar that guides them every day and night. I mean, if you read the context here, he's actually standing at this moment right in the midst of the Shekinah glory 
of God's presence at the moment. He's seen the burning bush. He's uh, experienced the parting of the Red Sea. He's seen the miraculous delivery of the manna and the quail. Uh, Their clothes aren't even wearing out as they're wandering through the desert. I mean, God's glory is all over the place. So what is Moses asking for here that he hasn't already seen? Listen, he's not asking for God to prove his existence. That's not his problem. And he's not doubting God's power because he's seen God's power displayed all over the place. What he's asking for is a personal, right here, right now, experience of his presence. Because he says, that's what I need. That's the thing that I was built for. Because listen, what Moses is discovering here is really at the end of all of our cravings, at the end of all of our desires, all of our wants, all of our dreams, it's really God that we're looking for. For example, you might crave intimacy. When you're craving intimacy, you're really craving God. Because what you want is to matter to somebody. You want to feel significant. You want to feel important. You want to feel special. And, you know, if you think about it, the only reason that you'd ever abandon the arms of your spouse for the arms of another is because either I don't feel like I'm enough for you or you're not enough for me. I don't feel like I'm somebody around you anymore, and they make me feel special. They make me feel important and valued. And I want you to listen to all those descriptors, special, valuable, important, enough. All of those descriptors are actually synonyms for what we use as a theological word called glory. Because literally the word glory means weight. It means significance. It, It means that you matter, that you've got some substance to you. And in the end, there is no person in the world who can fill your heart with all of the significance that it needs. Nobody can do that for another person. They can only remind you that it exists, and they can point you toward it. They can whet your appetite for it, but only God can ever provide that deep sense of significance that you were built for. And it works that way in other areas as well. When you crave uh, security, for example, you're really still craving God because you want to know that you are safe and that you're held fast by someone else. And only God can ultimately give that to you. People will always give up on you, but God never will. And, and when you crave rest, when you crave money, when you crave success, or whatever it is that your heart is craving after, you're really searching after God. Because you're craving his glory, his, his weightiness. You're asking yourself, do I matter? Am I significant? Do I have ultimate weight? And God is the only source of that kind of glory a sense of significance that everything else points to, everything else hints at, everything else promises us, but it never really delivers. And see, Moses is coming to see that beneath all of these cravings and all of these desires and all of these needs inside of his own heart is really God himself. And he's saying, I cannot and I will not move another step forward in life without this. I can't lead these people without your presence. I need you. I need your presence. 
Because as we all know from our own experience in life, you can never get enough power. You can never get enough security. You can never get enough control or intimacy. Whatever it is that you're searching after, there's never enough. People will always let you down. Your circumstances will always let you down and leaving you wanting more. Because it's, again, C.S. Lewis puts it so well. He said, the books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trusted them. It was not in them, it only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. And you see, listen, this, this is the answer beneath the answer to all of our life's problems. We are looking for things that only God can ever give us, but we're looking for them in everything besides God. We're looking for them in all the remnant images of God's glory that are found throughout his creation. And you see, Moses already knew that God existed. He already understood about God's power and his authority. But it's not enough to believe in God in general. The question is, is he enough to satisfy every longing and craving of your heart? Or is he merely a means to an end of something else out there that you think can satisfy you? Because listen, you need to know more than the fact that God is real. You need to know more than the fact that he exists, that he's powerful, that he's loving, that even, even knowing that he's forgiving is not enough. You need a personal manifestation of his presence in your heart, <clears throat> or else you're going to be chasing after all the wrong things for the rest of your life. So, listen, Moses here is standing on the very edge of God's promises. There's a land flowing with milk and honey ahead of them on the horizon and there's a land of tremendous riches and security. And he says to God, I'm not going into that place unless I have you. Unless you're with me, I'm not taking a step further. And I think if we were honest, most of us would jump at the chance for God to say, I'll give you all the riches and all of the power and all the glory you could ever imagine. And hey, God, if you want to come along too, that'd be great. But I'll take those riches. But listen, Moses here is saying, even if I had all of that, but I don't have you, I'll never have enough. It will not fill me up because what I need is more of you. What I need is your special presence in my heart. I want a real relationship. And listen to what Moses is saying here because there, there's a, a big difference between believing in God in general and actually experiencing him personally. There's a difference between knowing about God, knowing about his power and about his mercy. I know all about the cross and what Jesus did. I can tell you all the things that happened. There's a difference between that and having a heart-transforming experience of it. Because listen to Moses' logic here. Verse 12, he says, God, you know me. But he says in verse 13, but I want to know you. And God says, okay, my presence will go with you. And the word presence is literally the word face, right? It, it's the face of God. And listen, the very thing that Adam and Eve lost in the garden, 
the face of God, the, the presence of God. This, this is something that all of humanity has been desperately looking for since the beginning of time. And Moses says, that's what I want for me. Is that what you want for you? See, the first step in getting that is simply to want it, to see your need for it, and then to ask God for it. And, and I have to admit that's a scary thing to ask because this is not a tame God that we're asking. He is a wild lion, but it's what you and I most need. So seek, ask, hold fast, cry out to God and say, I'm not going to let go because I must have you. That's what Moses need was and I think that's what our need is today but we have a big problem and the problem is that there is a barrier between us and God a barrier between the one thing that we were created for and the satisfaction that our hearts long for and we simply can't get from here to there see God tells Moses here I will give you what you most want and what you most need uh, but but uh, I can't give it to you in the way that you want because it would kill you. You will die. See, Moses, all through this passage, keeps asking for more and more. Will you please go with me? Will you please help me? Will you reassure me? Uh, and eventually he gets to verse 18 where he says, look, this is really what I want, God. Show me your glory. I want to experience the full glory of God in my heart. And God says, no, you can't see all my glory. It's too much for you. But I will show you all of my goodness. And I will proclaim my name to you. Because he says in verse 20, if you see my face, if you experience my presence in that way, you'll die. Now why? Why is that the case? If you go all the way back to the beginning of the story of humanity in the Garden of Eden, you, you will see there the entrance of sin into the world. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And what happened was they lost the intimacy that they were designed for. And with that loss, the entire human race was caught up in that very same barrier that keeps every single one of us from experiencing the presence of God in the way that we were designed. They were expelled from the garden. They lost the face of God. And that's the condition that every single one of us is born into. We are born into exile. We're born with hearts that are never satisfied. We, we are crying out from the womb and, and live whiningly our entire lives outside of it because we are cut off from the thing that our hearts most desperately crave, the presence of the God that we were designed for. And as a result, the closest that we can get on our own to going back to the presence of God are the many remnant images of God that are found in his creation. And you see those pictures of God, you experience them in, in beauty, in, in art, in relationships, in, in sex, in achievement, even walking through nature. Each one of these gives us a glimpse of the God that we were designed for. They're just brief reminders that it exists, that it's out there, but it never satisfies. And their inability to satisfy our hearts is a continual reminder that we have been barred at the gates and we can never enter again because if we did get in we'd die listen this barrier is called our sin our rebellion against God our rejection of him as our creator and God is a holy God 
And if he overlooks sin and says, well, guys, I know you meant well, we're just going to let it go this time, then he's not a just God anymore. In fact, if that's the case, there is no justice in a world like that. God has to keep his full presence from us, even though he loves us. In fact, it's his love that actually keeps him from revealing his full presence to us in the first place. Because we would die if he did. And see, God is telling Moses here, of course I love you. Of course I'm always going to be with you. Of course I will show you as much of myself as I possibly can. But at some level, there's still a barrier that you cannot cross and live. And God is telling us here, you might be desperate for my presence. The whole world has been desperate for God's presence since the beginning of time. All of our longings and all of our strivings and all of our passions, our hopes and our dreams, this is where they come from. This innate, desperate longing for the presence of God that we were created for. And God says, as much as I love you, I cannot let you fully in or it will kill you. Because God is not just all loving and forgiving. He's also holy and just. And without holiness, there is no justice in, the, in this world. And if there's no justice, that means there's no such thing as racism or prejudice or oppression. They're just personal opinions in a world without justice. And so we need justice. We crave justice. Otherwise, we have a God who simply lets evil continue unchecked. And that makes God bad. And listen, without love, there, there's no hope for unjust people like us. And see, that's why Moses is so unsure here about how he can come in to the presence of God because he sees his own sin. He sees his own need. And I think each one of us knows exactly what this feels like. Every time that facade that we try so hard to maintain comes crashing down, and we feel exposed and needy when our ugly nature shows through and we can't hide our true nature anymore, when the, the, the guilt and, and the shame fills our hearts with accusation, we know what that feels like. Listen, there, there is a tension that is going on in this passage that I really want you to feel. And that's why I'm not relieving with the answer yet. I want you to sit and the tension of what this, pres this, this passage is talking about. Because there is a longing for God's presence that we can't have. And yet God longs to cover us so that we can see it. And that's why in verse 21 God says, listen, I, I want you to see as much of me as you can. So I'll put you in the cleft of a rock and I'll cover you with my hand. And after I pass by, I'll, I'll give you just a really quick glance at my backside. Because that's all I can manage to do without killing you. I can't give you what you want, but I can give you what you need. And what you need is to see just enough of my glory to fill your heart without destroying it. But I hope you feel this tension. Our, our, our hearts long to know God and to experience his presence. And yet a, a brief glimpse of his backside is all we can handle. And so it, it makes it a bit hard to get to know a God like this. You know, at times God can feel very distant. Sometimes God feels very remote, like he's just otherworldly. And I'm praying to God and I'm seeking for God and I'm searching after him. And it just feels like I'm talking to myself in a big echoing room. I mean, you feel that at times, don't you? It's not like hanging out with a friend face to face when you can chat and talk 
and, and see their reactions immediately. So how in the world can we grow close to a God that's this aloof? You know, it's trying, it's, I suppose it's like trying to connect personally with, what's her name, the artist Sia at one of her concerts. It's kind of hard because she always covers her face and you can't see what she looks like. And, and how intimate can you be with somebody if you can't ever see their face? How can we know God if we can't see him? And listen, let me just say this. I think for many of you, your whole life, you thought that God was hiding himself from you because he didn't really love you. Or maybe because somehow you weren't that lovable. But maybe God has been hiding himself from you so that you won't die because he loves you. See, your heart often accuses, why doesn't God show more of himself to me? And you just assume, well, it's because God doesn't care. Or because I've messed up too much and he just, he's had it with me. But, but maybe he's covering you with his hand. And maybe he's hiding you in the cleft of the rock because that's all you can handle right now without destroying you. And he's doing that because he loves you, not because he doesn't. So how can we ever get to know a God like this? We need to resolve this tension. And here's where we see how God lays out a plan of rescue. When you get to the end of chapter 34 and the tabernacle is finished, God's presence come down, comes down and it fills that place and Moses still has to wear a veil because he, he can't get too close and when we reach to the end of chapter 40 and the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle Moses it says couldn't even enter in because the presence of God was just too much listen the the very design of the tabernacle itself is a picture of God's plan of rescue the tabernacle was designed as a way to tell the people God is here in your midst, but he's separate from you, and you cannot have access. Nobody could ever enter the most holy place where God was except one person, and only one day out of the year, and only if they sprinkled blood on the Ark of the Covenant. And what the, the tabernacle itself is telling us is that there is a way in. God's presence is here, but only through the sacrifice, only through the blood sacrifice of something else on our behalf that pays the price. And see, the very design of the tabernacle was such that it was communicating to the people every day, God is here. He's among us. He's in our presence. But we cannot approach him. And eventually, a permanent temple replaces the nomadic tabernacle. But it tells us the very same thing, that the thing that we most want and most need is right there. It's God's glory, his presence, his face but you can't get to it. And we're given a hint that only through blood sacrifice was entrance even possible. And then the story just ends. And God is continually separate from his people. And that's how they have to live for hundreds of years. So where's the hope? Where's the rescue? This story is picked up again in the New Testament. In John chapter 1, which we'll be coming back to uh, in our Christmas series starting next week. But in John chapter 1, he says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the word here that is used for made his dwelling among us is literally the word tabernacled. You could use that as a, as a verb, right? He tabernacled amongst us. You see, John here is telling us that Jesus is the tabernacle. 
Jesus is the entrance into all of the glory that your heart desires. Jesus is the light of the world, which was one of the tabernacle fixtures, right? The, the lampstand. Jesus is the bread of life, which was one of the tabernacle fixtures, the showbread that was there. Jesus is saying, I am everything that you need to get access that your heart longs for. Jesus says, I am the very face of God. I am his very presence among you. And on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we're reminded there in Peter's sermon that Jesus' blood was spilled and the curtain that all these centuries had separated us from God for all these generations was torn in two. And God's fire comes down, not on another sacrifice, not to destroy or to burn up anything, but the fire of God comes down into the hearts of man, fulfilling his promise that one day he would write his laws upon our hearts instead of on mere tablets of stone that sat over there condemning us with its pointing finger. Listen, the fire of God's presence, the longing beneath every desire of your heart can now live within us because the barrier is gone. And God doesn't have to cover us anymore. And we don't have to hide because Jesus' blood is our cover. And listen, can you, can you feel the fire of this truth burning in your heart even now? Because listen, it's not enough merely to believe in this stuff. I mean, the devil believes all this. He's unmoved by it. You cannot get the glory of God in your heart merely through belief but it only comes through an experience of his glory upon your heart. And you have to sense and experience that glory. So how do I get that? How, how does that come? That's the bottom line question that we all want to know because I, I want that. I need that. Well, it's not something you can control. You can't just flip it on like a light switch because it's something that has to capture you. It has to captivate you. And we can get glimpses of it in nature. We get glimpses of it in sex. We get glimpses of it in art and beauty and nature. But it only comes into your heart by seeking God. And not merely seeking God to get answers or for guidance or for help or for perspective, but seeking God to get God and nothing else. But I think the main place you see it is in the cross. In fact, you can see it unfolding right here in the midst of our story, because when you get to chapter 34, we actually get to hear what God said when he proclaimed his name and passed in, in front of Moses. We get to hear God defining what he says, this is all of my goodness, and I'm going to let you hear it. And what does he say? It says, he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Do you hear what God is saying here? <laughs> it's incredible. He says, I am a loving and forgiving God. I am compassionate and gracious. I'm slow to anger. I'm maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he adds, I will not leave the guilty unpunished, and every sin must be paid for. Listen, God is telling us here, this is all of my goodness. 
And he, he says, this is my goodness, that I am I'm a loving and forgiving God who will never forgive. That's what he's saying. And you think, wait a second, how, how can that be? How, how can that be good, let alone all good? Listen, only in Jesus can these two things come together. Only in Jesus can infinite love meet infinite justice. Only in Jesus can God say, I am holy and just enough that every sin must be paid for. But only in Jesus can God say, and I am loving enough to step in and take their place that it would fall on me so that I would die that they might live. And you see that the justice of God tells you that Jesus had to die for you. You were that screwed up. But the love of God tells you that he wanted to. He wanted to die in your place so that he could have you. And the more that you dwell on that, the more glory it will produce in your heart. See, it's not just believing in the facts of Christianity that changes you. You have to be caught up in the wonder of it all, the amazement of it all, the beauty of it all, that God could love somebody like me like that. I mean, it's amazing. I, I can't fathom it. But it's true. And that's why we always, every week, push this on you, that the heart of the gospel is to say that I'm far more sinful than I ever imagined. That's why we have confession, and we drag you to the bottom through the dirt, because you've got to see how needy you are. And yet, at the same time, I'm far more loved than I ever dared imagine, because Jesus paid it in full. And I have to hold both. I have to hold them in tension. And the further apart that I can get them to see, I'm even worse than I thought, but I'm even more loved than I imagined. That's what produces glory. And the more you let the beauty and the wonder of that fill your heart, the more of God's glory you will experience on your heart. And listen, the, the difference here will help reveal to your own heart whether you want God in order to get something else from him, whether it's answers to prayer or uh, to quiet your conscience or maybe some eternal fire insurance. See, that's, that's what religion is all about. It's a fair exchange of goods and services. I obey God and then he gives me the things that I really want. But the gospel says, I want God simply to get God to experience God, to enjoy his presence. See, a Christian gazes on the wonder of the cross, and as he does, he moves his heart from asking, well, what can God do for me, to now asking with a melted heart, God, what can I do for you? I want to give you everything. Because you see, what more could he do? Listen, do you walk through your day grumbling that you're not getting enough, frustrated that the images of God that you see in creation are not enough to bring you the satisfaction you want, and it should, and you're bitter about how hard your life is, and you're dwelling on all the things that you're missing out on, and life isn't fair, are you merely praying to God for better circumstances, to fix all of my problems and make my life easier? Or do you walk through your day with amazement and thanksgiving that a holy God like this, could love a messed up sinner like me? Does your heart never stop wondering, how could I be given so much love and grace? I don't deserve this. This is amazing. Listen, are you gazing today on you and your circumstances? Or are you gazing on Jesus 
and his amazing love for you. Jesus died that you might live. And if that doesn't melt your heart and fill you with wonder and joy, then your heart is still trying to save yourself through chasing all the images of God that you find in your world. And that is a dead end. You'll never get there. Ask that God would fill you with his glory. Take your heart to the greatest display of that glory in the cross over and over and over again each day. And do not move until God fills you with his presence. Cry out to God and say, I'm not going anywhere until you fill my heart with an amazement and a wonder of your presence. God, show me your glory. Let's pray. Lord, we were made for so much more than the mud puddles that we play in. We were designed for a glory far beyond our wildest dreams. And we settle for mere images. We thumb through pictures of beauty and glory and experiences that they remind us of, but never get to participate in. And I pray that you would remind our hearts that we were designed for immense glory, incredible passion, overwhelming joy. Lord, some of us have grown so cynical through the years that we're afraid to even hope for this anymore. Some of us have been so broken by our own sin, we can't imagine that you could love us like this. Some of us are so assuming that you're a loving God who just forgives at your job that we're not overwhelmed with the depth of our sin. And we need to see your glory. And we need to experience the full goodness of God upon our hearts. Would you, by your spirit, lead us to be able to see that today? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.